According to the news, a woman was charged with assaulting her stepmother at a funeral. This is in August 2010. A fight broke out between daughter and stepmother at the visitation for a Wendell man Thursday night. A fracas led to one hospital visit, two arrests, and a dent in the funeral home wall. A uh, disturbance started as family gathered at L. Harold Pool Funeral Service in Nightdale to pay respects to Bryant Henry Williams, Jr., 90. A front-end and frame mechanic from Wendell family members said, Soon after she placed a kiss on her father in his casket, Phyllis Strickland, 58, was charged with assaulting Williams' 73-year-old wife, Virginia, and causing $450 of damage to the funeral home's drywall. Strickland's son, Christopher, 39, was charged with assaulting both Williams' wife and a fellow grandson, Larry Wynn Terry of Duncan, South Carolina. All called the Malay a shame. Phil Strickland said the family was not there to fight and carry on. My mother raised me to be a lady, she said. It's a disgrace to have this thing going on when your father is laying there. I could go on, but you kind of get the point. Some of you may remember the story. I remember when it came out uh, of all the events that happened. Because, you know, Paul Fillion Home, I've been there many times, as many of you have. And, but also, as a pastor, I've been behind the scenes working with families. And when I read the story, I thought, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Might have surprised you. But the reason I say that is because often in the midst of grief, when you've lost someone or somebody, tensions are high, you are stressed out, and there may be hidden things that you've been just kind of tolerating, putting up with for decades. Um, Now, because of the stress of the situation, it's brought out right to your face once again, and you just snap. And I've seen it happen in my family. I've seen it happen in other families We're in the midst of grief, in the midst of loss, arguments, fights, break out. Anger is unreleased. So, in the book of James, I think James knows about that, brother of Jesus. And he has been, up to now, talking about uh, dealing with trials. What happens? How to deal with trials. How they reveal our hearts. Well, Uh, He goes on and just brings out, as he's addressing this, uh, dealing with anger. It would almost strike you as kind of a a little bit of a whiplash, unless you know that when you have lost something or someone in that trial, what makes it a trial, a lot of times anger gets released. And so uh, we have been dealing with uh, everything. Let me kind of summarize for you as you look in James chapter 1. Reading the Word of God, you see in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It tells us here that trials are certain. You will endure trials. It's going to happen. And also, perspective matters. It says, count it joy. It's a command for us to do. And we think, how do we do that? How do we count it joy to endure such things? And he goes on and explains why that is the case. He says in verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, or wholehearted. Uh, And so what we learn here is that there is a heart growth only on the other side of endurance. That there is a heart growth 
only on the other side of endurance. But that's not always the case that you go through trials and every, everything will work right because the same sun that, that melts the wax can make the clay hard. Uh, what, what's the difference? Well, the difference is if a couple things are in place. If we ask for wisdom for joy and suffering. If we ask for wisdom and joy in suffering, it says if verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea is driven and tossed by the wind for that person must not be supposed that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Which takes us to the next condition. If we seek and trust Christ above all pursuits. Not to be double-minded. Not to be wanting Christ here. But yet also wanting comfort at the same time. I want to have Christ. But I want my future to look like this. You don't always get both those things. And so, in fact, you might lose the latter so that you can gain Christ. And Jesus said it this way. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. And so, we keep on going down, and we learn uh, he, he gives us a couple of illustrations of trials. He talks about the lowly brother and the rich in humiliation. Uh, the lowly brother, verse 9, and then also the rich, that both these two things are trials that you have to go through. But, he tells us, trials have seasons. They do not last long, as you see this in verse 11, that the diversity, the trial of having rich, and you say, sign me up for that trial. Um, but understand that it tests our heart from, uh, from what is eternal, and we start living for the shallow things. But these things, the resources will come and go like the flower of the grass and the sun will scorch it. So trials have seasons and in these things, look to the eternal, look to the guaranteed uh, as we go through. Uh, and so that's what he's saying here is look to the eternal, uh, hold on to not the passing treasures because they're seasonal, but hold on to the eternal. And this is where the wisdom comes in. God will give us these things to hold on to as we're climbing the mountain face of the trial. Things that we can count on. And then, as we keep on reading, we get to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on the trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And so we saw that the crown of life is a unique a unique relationship with Christ that is found on the other side of testing. This crown of life, life being as Jesus defined life, that you know God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. And so eternal life is this unique relationship that can be found with him as you go through this. But then, there, there verse 12, which God has promised to those who love him. And so joy in trials only comes from love for Christ. Joy in trials only come in love for Christ. And that's the only way that makes sense. And so he says this is given to those who love him. Along the way, we defined a few things. We define what wisdom is. Wisdom is the ability to see the authority of God, to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance. Wisdom is the ability 
to see the beauty of God's authority in every circumstance, especially in the midst of that trial, to see God's authority and the beauty of it in the midst of it. And that's going to fly in the face of what seems at first blush to you. And that's why we pray for wisdom, for asking God to see how this can be a beautiful thing. And God's authority is a beautiful thing, even when it has caused a trial in our life, when it's caused suffering in our life. We've also seen that delights divorced from God brings death. That delights divorced from God brings death. But we also are learning that delights flow from God. And so we looked at this as we kept on going, reading through the text. Uh, as we read down to verse 13, 14, 15, where it talks about temptation. Temptations often comes with the trials. And we're realizing, well, you know what? Uh, these trials, they are, they are an opportunity for, tr- for temptation. Understand, God's not tempting us. All we need is our own heart in the midst of the trial, and we start looking for other things to bring comfort to us outside of God. But there's a a huge problem in that God gives all good things and is the giver of all good gifts. And so when we reject God, well, it brings death in our life. And so we're learning also that trials uh, not only are opportunities for temptation, but trials are opportunities to trust God. Opportunities to trust God. How so? Well, it tells us that uh, we can be trusting His revealed goodness. As we go down, verse 17, Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this is what we looked at last week. How God is good in our life. And that all the gifts we have are reflections of God. And And therefore they're They change. There's variableness. There's shadows. And the gifts that we have, our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents, our jobs, the joys, the delights of our life, these things are shadows. They will come and go, but they point and they reflect from God who is as the sun and there is no variable or shadow in Him. He is the constant. He is the North Star. He is what we can hold on to and He is good. And so we've learned to trust His revealed goodness But then we looked last week as we got to verse 18 that we're also learning to trust His active power in our life. Trusting His active power in our life. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This is where we're going to look at it today. How do we trust His active power? What does that look like in our life? And I believe He elaborates on that in verse 19, 20. And 21, as he turns the focus to the Word of God, you see the, uh, 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 a title for the Word of God repeated three times. Verse 18, it's called the Word of Truth. Verse 21, what we'll look at today, is the implanted Word. Verse 25, next time, is the perfect law. All three phrases referring to the same idea of God's Word in our life. So, <laughs> that's the review. Um, But as we go into this, let me ask you this question. When was the last time you were angry? Uh, So if you got angry this morning, I promise I'm not picking on you. It just so happened this is the text we're looking at, and you got angry this morning, all right? 
So I'm not trying to pick on you. The good news is it's going to be fresh in your mind. You can apply the Word of God quickly to your heart and mind, all right? Um, so there's some good in this. Uh, but hopefully you've had some thought, some reflection of when was the last time you got angry or the most pronounced time you were angry, whichever way comes to your mind first uh, as we think through this. Um, and so with that being said, let's, uh, let's read the Word of God. Let's stand as we read this together. If you'll read silently as I read aloud to you. I'll start with verse 18 as review and go through. Uh, Verse 21. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That one might be good to memorize, by the way. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You may be seated. So, verse 18 We're trusting in the active power in our life. It has this phrase, brought forth of his own will. God's will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. It is a picture of a delivery of this phrase you've heard, born again. It is of the word of truth that we've been born again, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so the whole reason there's this power of God working in our life and corresponding with God's word, his truth, is so that we would be conformed to his image first fruits of his creatures that God is working and desiring a certain version of you that is there right now but if you let God work in your life through his spirit and with his word using trials using people his body he will be constantly working to create a vision of you that will ultimately be perfected when we are before him. I know that because the Bible says that. It says that we shall see him as he is, for we will be like him at that time. First John 3, verse 1 and 2 talks about that. And so uh, that's the end goal. We're working toward that. And just know, as you look at everything in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all these things are there in your life with this end goal of making you in his image and helps you be thankful for miserable things sometimes because you realize that God is working in your life so that being said there is the power of God working in your life know this my beloved brothers because we know this let every person be quick to hear slow to speak slow to anger for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God so it's as if he's saying hurry up and listen Because we know that God's power is at work in us. Here's here's what we learn. Personal power does not produce God's righteousness. Because we realize God's power is in our life, we recognize personal power is not cutting it. It's not working. Know this then, my beloved brothers. Then let's be quick. Hurry up to listen. Don't be quick to express 
your opinion. Don't be there to say, I'm here to pronounce my judgments. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. To say, let's refrain from exerting what you deem as your personal power into a situation, into a relationship to try to change it. I think there's a lot of similarity here that, that you see here with what you see in James chapter 4. Read verse 1 and 2. Let me just read that to you. This is what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Does that sound familiar? We're not wholehearted. We're double-minded. We're conflicted. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covenant can obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. I'm just going to observe, it's really hard to get in a quarrel without being angry. Have you ever done that? I, I, I don't really know how to do that. How to get into a quarrel with, in a fight with someone without having anger. And so he's bringing these two things all together, connected. And he says at the heart of this is these double-minded, conflicted desires. And so understand that this is about being wholehearted. And so trusting God's power and not your own power. Whenever there is anger in your life, usually you can mark it up to a desire to control. Whenever it was that you got angry last, think about it for a second and ask, what were you trying to control? It probably won't take too long for you to answer that, if you just think for a second. Anger, the emotion of anger, is connected with a God-given desire to control. Why I say is a God-given desire? Because He's made us stewards. He's made us responsible but the problem is, is that this, the light that's been given from God, has been divorced from God, and so now there's death. And so we're no longer under the authority of God. We are trying to exert our own opinion, our own thoughts, and trying to bluster our way into making things happen. And so when things are removed from us, uh, you know, one of the, what uh, psychologists would say is that one of the stages of grief is anger. Um, that's what some... Uh, counselors and psychologists would, would observe, uh, because we've lost something, we couldn't control it. And, and he's saying, look, it's not going to happen by our control, by our power. Now let me just share that that has amazing, challenging ramifications when it comes to parenting. Just saying, whatever you're wanting to see happen in your life, it's going to happen through God's power, not your anger. For example, you want your children to be obedient. You want them to uh, tell the truth. You want them to be respectful. And you can beat it out of them, right? Not advocating that. But what will happen is there will be an outward conformity, but the heart hasn't changed. And what you really want is heart change, right? And so we can't make it happen. It's a work of God in their life. And so we're going to have to rest in something else besides our personal power. Therefore, if we realize that, the, that, that this is the case, that the anger of, of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And just uh, that has so many ap uh, applications in church life, business life, family life, government life. Uh, I don't really have the time to explain it, because there's some other things I want to explain. But it is worth your pondering, worth your memorization, applying in every stage of your life, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But knowing that, 
Once we realize that and know that, verse 21, we've got to recognize, recognize that and reject a few things in our life. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So verse 21, once we realize that personal power does not produce God's righteousness, we are to recognize and reject pride in our life. Now you think, well, pride isn't that a good thing? Yes and no. Um, Coffee, is that a good thing? I'm talking, I know who I'm talking to. (laughs) Y'all say yes, right? Uh, Yes, coffee is a good thing. But I learned this past week that coffee is a good thing under the right conditions. In your mouth, it is a good thing. With the right temperature, it is a good thing. And here's what I learned this this past week. I I learned this before, but learned it in a new way. Coffee on my pants is not a good thing. I was playing cards with the family and the handle something messed up, the handle and a full cup of coffee just poured onto the table into my lap. And uh, this is this is bad. My my legs are really hot. And then they got really cold. And then it's like the dampness of the pants was just like, ugh. And I was like, okay, I, I've got to just change my clothes. I was in my house like, y'all just, I've got to separate myself from these raiments, all right? Separate myself from these clothes that they've been defiled and they're miserable. So notice the wording here says, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The image here in that text is, is to separate the dirty clothing from you and to understand that pride has a place under God's authority to say, I want to have pride in Jesus. I want to glory. I want to glory in God. I want to glory in what God is doing in my life. And so that is a delight that is with God. But when that delight is divorced from God, to say, I want to delight in something, I want to delight in myself, then that brings death. And so when you realize the role of pride in our life, it becomes something that impedes God's power at work in our life therefore separate it's interesting how he categorizes the anger of man here put all away all filthiness and rampant wickedness he is associating that with anger of man and some of you would say now pastor i know the bible talks about jesus being uh hot in the temple turning over tables and and forming a whip and driving out the sellers in the temple yes the Bible does say that, does talk about it. In fact, if you read the text, you'll find that he checked out the temple the night before, then came back the next day. It was not an instantaneous, it was a prolonged, thought-about plan. And second, I would point out, you're not Jesus. <laughs> and I think we get that confused sometimes. The Bible does talk about be angry and sin not, which implies that there is a possibility of being angry and not sinning. But I would say that that only will come under prayer with the Holy Spirit 
and distinguishing by God's help your desires versus God's desires. I note that even Moses, you'll find Moses a man prone to anger. He was also called the meekest man to walk the earth. I saw in, in passages we read this past week a time when he was angry. One, he killed a man in anger. He got angry at Pharaoh. And then we find that later on he gets angry with the, with the Israelites because they were not listening to God. And he takes a stone and strikes it with a stick and disobeys God in that moment and then later blames the people for it. And this is Moses who even in his anger it jeopardized him being able to go into the promised land later on. I just, I just want to caution you with this, with this uh, permission that we might have to go to anger. I think the first place we should look is when there's anger in our heart is, okay, God, help me to see my pride here. Help me to see what I'm trying to control. But there should be a recognition of pride and a rejection of it. Why? Because we want to get on to the next aspect Receive with meekness the implanted word. Implanted word. Recognize God's word in you. Recognize God's word in you. It has an interesting phrase here, implanted. Near that word, implanted word, this is the only time that specific word is found in the New Testament anywhere. It's unique in that way. Uh, and, and so when it talks about implanted word, most of us learn things by acquisition, right? We go to school. We, uh, we read the books. We ask Siri. We look it up on Google. We, we acquire it. But what the Bible is saying here is the implanted word of God is that God does something supernatural where he actually takes his word and puts it within your heart so that it becomes natural a natural thing to start wanting and doing what God says. Now there's another law within you, and that is the law of your flesh that will be at conflict with that, the law of your pride that will be at conflict with that. But with God's working, there is a supernatural transition that happens. In fact, if you'll just go with me a couple of places, uh, let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. This is a Bible teacher, a Pharisee, coming to Jesus at night. But just because you know about the Bible, just because you know the words of the Bible, just because you have it memorized, doesn't mean the Word of God is in your heart. As Jesus will illustrate. Verse 2, John 3, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that your teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Or born from above is another way of saying that. Unless one is born from above, born from God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? He, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. 
so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is actually elaborating on a passage we see in Ezekiel, chapter 37. Verse 26 and 27, Ezekiel 37, verse 26 and 27. God says in this book, prophesy what will happen. Now I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 25, he talks about sprinkling with clean water, which I think Jesus was alluding to, being washed in spirit, are born in the, in the water and the blood. What is he saying? God has prophesied in Ezekiel. Jesus talked about it. And now James, I believe, is referring back to this when he says that we've been brought forth by the word of truth and now receiving the implanted word. When we trust in Jesus as our Savior, we stop trying to make right our wrongs by our efforts realizing that it's not our personal power that we can get right with God. When we stop that and trust in what Jesus has done for us, dying on the cross, that when we come to him in humility, say, God, forgive me. I have done wrong in my life. I need your forgiveness. Would you give me grace? Would you be my Lord? That in that moment of confession before him, agreeing with what the Spirit of God is saying, that he implants by the Spirit of God his word in us our life so that when now we read the word of God there is a resonance a a corresponding nature within our heart with what we're reading so you might have tried to understand you might have learned facts about God you might learn information from the Bible but when the spirit of God is in your heart there is a, a a resonance I was looking up that terminology resonance if you take a a tuning fork, and you tap it, it will send out these mini vibrations, powerful vibrations that creates this sound. And if you hold it over a glass that has the right amount of water in it, a crystal glass, if you find the glass that has the same natural frequency of the metal that you just tapped, when that happens and you hold it over that glass, that there will be a resonance, there is the matching sound that will be amplified and will increase the frequency, increase the vibration. And if you continue long enough, these powers will play off one another until something breaks. What we have now is God putting in us His Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of truth, the Word of truth. And the Spirit of God has, through human agents, revealed His Word through the Word of God. And so when I read the Word of God and I ask God, would you speak to my heart? And I depend on the Spirit of God to do so. As I read the Word of God with that dependence on the Lord, He will resonate with the Word of truth into my soul. And it is living Hebrews 4 talks about the Word of God being living and active. You know what that means? Is that that there can be a stage in my life where I would maybe read James chapter 1. And I think, oh, that just speaks to my heart, speaks to my soul. Have you ever had a song do that? A poem maybe? Just 
speak to your heart. And then you come back later on, and it's like it doesn't quite have the same oomph it used to have. The poem didn't change. The song didn't change. But you did, didn't you? Here's what you're going to find with the Word of God. The Word of God is living. The poem was dead. Which means that as I go through the stages of my life, as I change and the Spirit of God is working in me, I can read, in fact, the exact same James chapter 1, uh, five years later, and it has a whole new resonance within my heart. The Spirit of God is bringing out things to me that I could not see before, would not see before, because there were issues in my life that the Spirit of God was dealing with first. So he says, put away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. Recognize God's word in you. But not just recognize God's word, receive God's word as authority. Receive God's word as authority. Notice verse 21. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness. Meekness is is an application of humility. Uh, Humility realizes that life is not about me. There are more important things in life than myself. And I'm learning to focus on these things, on who God is, on others. And and I'm realizing that other people and their needs are are more important for me to focus on than my own thing. And this is uh, something we see in Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4 that speak to this this says, this is what humility is to look not on your own things but everyone also on the needs of others let other let deem esteem others as better than yourselves let this attitude be in you which was also in christ jesus who you know didn't think it was robbery to be equal with god but it made himself no reputation taking the form of a servant humbled himself even to the point of death why to lift us up to address our needs to obey god And so this is part of what humility is. Meekness is an application of that to realize that there may be some power and responsibility that God's given to me, but I am under His authority. I'm under His authority. And meekness is not to be powerless, but to be actually be imbued with power, to have power granted to you, but you're under the authority of God. It's the picture of a a, a stallion, a mighty horse, under authority of the rider, of the reins, to have it harnessed, to have it directed a certain way. It is the idea of a fireplace being harnessed, or fire being harnessed by the fireplace. There is a power, there is a strength there, but it's under the authority of Jesus Christ. So receive with meekness the implanted word of God to know that the word of God isn't just an option I think if we're not careful we kind of treat the word of God like K&W you know we kind of go through okay well the word of God says this my buddies say this and this is politically correct and and uh, and my heart tells me this and I'm going to try to choose the option that kind of encompasses most of all that what the bible is saying here is receive with meekness the implanted word of god that there is an a b c and d there's just this is the option this is the plan this is the authority of your life now when i say with receive with meekness do you know what that implies that implies that as you read the word of god there will be things you do not like Otherwise, it would just say agree. Agree with the Word of God. 
like the word of God. It says receive with meekness. In other words, there will be things that you read in the word of God that will chafe your heart, that will be counter to what you think, that will be against maybe what society is saying at large, but it says receive with meekness the implanted word of God. Why is that important? Because it lets us know that the word of God is not your creation. The word of God is not society's creation. It's not a a product of just a culture because the word of God is counter to every culture that has ever existed. Why? Because it's a word from God, not a word from culture. Someone has said that if you marry someone that you, just like you, then one of you is redundant. By definition, you're going to marry someone that's not like you. And as such, you will not agree on everything. But how many of you learned that the intimacy of marriage has grown not because you agree on everything, but because you didn't agree on everything and you learned from one another in that and you learn that you can count on one another, that, that your relationship is stronger than that issue. And so your marriage grew by a conflict handled rightly. So when you are relating to a God who is above all things, who has created all things, who is the giver of all good things, who has all wisdom, and you're not wise. In relationship to God. It stands to reason there's going to be a few things you just don't agree on with God. Otherwise, you're probably lying. Our God is someone you made. A God of your own image. And that's one of the dangers of just like, I'm going to pick and choose here and there. Because what ends up is you pick and choose what you like. As opposed to, I'm going to receive with meekness the word of God. And it's going to take me to some places that I'm going to wrestle with. But I believe in the wrestling of it, I'm going to learn more of who God is. Which will take you to verse 22 and following. Or ultimately, we have to readjust to God's word. Readjust to God's word. We don't have time to deal with that uh, this morning. Um, Rich is going to deal with that next Sunday. Um, He is one of our elders, and I've asked him to uh, take us through verse 22, through verse 27 next Sunday. And I look forward to it, and I'll be praying for him as that happens. But we're going to look then at what does it mean to readjust to God's warning, or to God's word in our life. But as we read this, as you think back to that conflict, to that anger situation, You need to understand that the opposite of anger is not self-control, but humility. The opposite of anger is humility. And it may be that as you read the Word of God, that God just speaks to your heart. Why? Because there's a Spirit of God in your heart, and He knows your mind. And He knows the mind of God. And as he, you read the word, there's going to be a resonation within your soul. There's going to be an echoing. There's going to be a, an intensifying, amplifying of a truth that you're reading. Understand 
That's not me talking to you. That's not a figment of your imagination talking to you. That is God Almighty himself speaking to your heart who he knows intimately. And as such, it is not something to be dismissed or passed away with. It is something to be regarded then and there because it is God himself talking to you. It's been said that in the Old Testament, as we've read, God the Father was rejected. And in the New Testament, we see God the Son being rejected in the Gospels. But in this day and the age of the church, we see above and beyond all things, God the Spirit being rejected. And I would just caution you, challenge you. As you read the Word of God and God speaks to your heart, it is to be obeyed. There is power, not in your anger, not in your personal charisma and your ability to persuade and talk there's power in God's word and his authority and to be a person of authority in life you have to be a person under authority under the authority of God let's pray